welcome you guys. Let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll get into our text today. Father God, thank you so much for your mercy and your grace and your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that, um, that you're always in control, and uh, we are not. And a lot of times we want to be in control, Lord, and, and uh, you're so gracious and loving to draw us to you in a place where we can relinquish control to you, Lord. I pray, Father, for all of us that we would all have an abandoned relationship with you, God. Lord, the way a child trusts a parent, Lord, or a baby trusts a mother, or just like Ashlyn holding this baby, it's not even hers, and it's like asleep in her arms, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would trust you in that way, Lord. God, we, we bring so many different things to the table, Lord, when we, in regards to our relationship with you or what we think about God or what we think about Jesus or the Bible. And we grow up, Lord, and, and we add all these different things, Lord, our insecurities and our upbringings and, and, and the way we interact in society. And we put it all in the room with you, Lord. And you say, I love you the way you are. You love us, God. You love us just as we are. You ask us to come as we are, to come to you as we are, Lord, to approach you, Lord. But you ask us to approach you willingly. Lord, we know, I know, your word tells us, God, that you are willing, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, today that for those of us in this room that have issues and concerns and whatnot, Lord, that you would bring a transformative message, Lord, through your word today that encourages us, God, to continue walking with you. Maybe some of us don't know what that means, walking with you, Lord. I, I personally question that all the time. Lord, am I walking with you? I thank you that you're the God of the universe, that all things, Lord, are in your hands, Lord. Everything seen and not seen, Lord, is under subject to you, Lord. The way the world is, is under the subjection of you, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that in a relationship with you, we can trust you with all of the things that we see and don't see, and all the things that bother us and don't bother us. We can trust you, Lord, the same way birds don't have to forage for food, Lord God. They just know where it's at because you provide it, Lord. And how much more will you provide for us as your humans that you've created, your children that you've made us, Lord, to walk in a relationship with you, God, a true and living, active relationship with you, Lord. I pray for each of us today, Lord, that we would have an interactive, experiential relationship with the true and living God to where we are filled with joy, that we're set free, Lord, from the control of sin, not that we won't sin, but from the control of it, the bondage of it, and set free from hell itself, that when we pass away one day, we will dwell with you, God. I pray that that truth, Lord, is brought to all of us today, the gospel. Jesus, that you died for us, that you were buried and you rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. Lord, there is absolute freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. There's freedom in you, Jesus as we look at that today in Acts chapter 16, I pray, Lord, that that, would be, that that would ring true in our hearts and minds, God. The freedom that there is in Jesus. Just thank you, Lord. I pray that you would just guide, guard, and direct me. You'd get me out of the way, Lord, and that you would just help me to share the truth of your word today as I stand here, Lord. Pray for all the other churches that are in session, Lord, that you would bless them and protect them and that you would draw people unto you. Lord, I pray for all of hers that you would bless it with the knowledge of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for the opportunity you give all of us to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're like, okay, that guy's done preaching. It's time for lunch. Oh, man. So Acts chapter 16. I'm going to start with Zechariah 4, 6. You're like, well, wait a minute. That's way in the Old Testament. It is. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Zechariah 4, 6. Um, in context, it's going to kind of be a theme throughout the, the scriptures that we're going to read today. So Zechariah 4, 6 says this. So he answered and said to me, and this is the Lord, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, I want you to hang your hat on this today. 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And what the scripture is telling the person that's receiving this is that it's not by the strength of man, it's not by the power of man, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit of the true and living God. And these were words from the Lord. And he spoke this to him. He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven, the Lord of all creation. And it's the same God that is available to us today, the same power that's available to us today to be set free, to be encouraged, to fill us with joy, to fill us with songs of deliverance and songs of praise and worship to the true and living God that loves us so much. Don't ever think that the Bible is just old and that the, the things that are spoken of are unobtainable and that, that, that these are things that we can't relate to. The Holy Spirit has given us the word of God to show us who God is, to show us what he's about, to show us exactly what he's about and how he loves us. And so we continue in this adventure in Acts the birth of the church and the, the outpouring of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God to the Gentiles. And now we see that, that Paul and Silas now are, are journeying and, and Barnabas took John Mark on a different route. And so now we, we see Paul and Silas here and they're traveling. <clears throat> I'm gonna read verse, Acts 16, verse one through three. I'm gonna, today I'm gonna do a little different. Instead of reading the whole context of the scripture, Actually, yeah, I'm going to read the whole context because I may not get through all the teaching today. So we're going to read the, the chapter 16 of Acts. Might help if I turn there. It was actually on Mark 16. I almost started reading that. Acts chapter 16. Then, then he came to Derb and Lystra... And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were, in, who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to, wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the, the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. <clears throat> now, when they had, now, now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course. Can you put the map on the screen, please, for really quick? Um, and for live stream, can you make it the main screen on the live stream so that people at home can see? Um, I, I'm going to stop for a second. So I want you to see, can you guys see the purple line that goes up here? So this is where they're traveling, okay? <clears throat> and see Asia here, Asia Minor in this area up here. So the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, um, hindered them or told them not to go into this section here of Asia. And so they went all the way around and, and Troas is at the tip there. And so that's where they're at. And then they're gonna hop on a boat and go to some more Thrace. It's such a hard word to say. Keep the map up there if you don't mind for a second. Um, actually, no, go back to the scriptures. I'll go back to that map, sorry, in case you guys don't have a Bible and want you to be able to read along. <clears throat> Find my place here really quick. I, it's just always good to go into context because we, you know, we don't have any, you know, we don't, we don't have any geological my, mindset of where these places are as we read in the text unless we've memorized a map or whatnot. 
After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul at night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So while they were in Troas, spending the night, this is when this vision happened. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had heard, and, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans, to receive, I'm sorry, let me read verse 21 again. And, these and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up to gather against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And, then, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secret to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. <clears throat> and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, sorry. And the keeper from, of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was, put, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly 
uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. When they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren there, encouraged them and departed. What a crazy scenario. I know there was a lot there I read. I hope you guys followed along. Um, but I, I just wanted to read this whole account where they go into this city and how the Lord directed them from where they were and they ended up in prison. We see in verse one through three how Paul meets Timothy. Most likely Timothy become a believer on Paul's first missionary journey. So, and then, and then remember at the end of, verse, of chapter 15, Paul had said, hey, let's go back through the, the towns where we had preached before and where churches were planted so that we might encourage them. And so this is why they're going on the second missionary journey. Go to the slide, please, with the, with the map again. You got to scroll through. One, two, three. So um, the first missionary journey uh, is, is the blue line, okay? Started in Antioch, went all the way around here, and ended up in Derb, okay? And so this is the second one in the purple, right? So they go to Troas, Derb, Iconium, and then they end up here. And then Paul wanted to, Paul, Paul met Timothy, and sorry, I'm getting ahead of this section of scripture here. So Paul meets Timothy in, 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 in Durban Lystra, and, and, and he notices who he is. He's, he's this young man um, who is well-spoken of by the brethren. So, so he has a strong relationship with God. And, and it's interesting here, we see in 2 Timothy 1.5, where Timothy's relationship with the Lord came from, Verse five of Second Timothy chapter one says this. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, speaking of Timothy, this is Paul writing to him, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, Eunice sorry, and I am persuaded is in you also. So, so Timothy's relationship with the Lord came through his mother. His father being Greek, um, most likely, you know, uh, it, it, Timothy had not been um, circumcised at all. And you guys think, well, what does that really matter? The, the scriptures prior to this, Paul spoke against it pertaining to, you know, not being circumcised as, as a symbol, you know, that back then for you to be a, be a believer in the Lord or walking with the Lord, the Jews believed that circumcision needed to be followed as in the Old Testament, even as a believer. And so Paul spoke out against that in the chapters before this. And you, so you may wonder, well, why, why is he, you know, why is this happening with, with Timothy, most likely, like I mentioned, because his father was Greek, Timothy had never, you know, experienced circumcision before. Um, and, and some of you are like, well, what does that have to do with your walk with God? So like I mentioned, in the Old Testament, um, for Jews to be um, the, a symbol of actually following after the Lord would have been being circumcised. If you go back and look through Leviticus, I referenced it a while back. And so that was where that all came from. When the gospel was presented to Greeks um, or Gentiles who were not um, Jews, uh, they, they, th some of the Jews believe that these believing Gentiles needed to get circumcised for them to be saved. And so Paul refuted that, that salvation comes through uh, a relationship with Jesus, faith and trust in him by grace and not through works and not through this outward expression of circumcision. And so you think, well, okay, Brian, so again, why is Paul circumcising Timothy. But if you look at verse three, it said, Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took him and circumcised him. And here's why, because of the Jews. And you think, well, okay. So it wasn't a issue of salvation. It was an issue of making sure that um, their ministry wouldn't be hindered. So people knew that Timothy's father was, was, Greece, was, was Grecian, he was Greek. And so they knew that Timothy would not have been uh, 
accepted by Jews and in and, 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 in the ministry of Paul, where they would go into communities, they would look for a, a, a synagogue or a place of worship, a Jewish place of worship. And so the, the, the basis of this really, the simplicity, the, to make this simple, is that this was done so that their ministry would not be hindered. In our own lives, there's things that God asks us to get rid of so that the ministry that's part of our life isn't hindered. Some of us don't know the Lord. Some of us do. Before we know the Lord, we have to get rid of our old self. And how do we do that? We come to the Lord openly the way we saw the jailer. Some of us are walking with the Lord and God calls us to step out of ministry. And then the Lord says, hey, I want you to get rid of this so that I can use you freely. And so really, that's, that's what this really is about, is that Timothy willingly got rid of something that could hinder the ministry of the Lord this ministry that Paul was asking him to go into was preaching the gospel. And so again, it was just so that they wouldn't be hindered when they would go into Jewish synagogues and preach. Verse four and five we see here, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased numbers and increased in numbers daily. Um, that decree that had gone out before, we read also in, in the previous chapter, this decree was for them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood, and from blood to abstain from these things. Again, none of those pertain to actually salvation. Really, they're just great things to adhere to. Um, and so they kind of put this formal decree for them to be able to follow. Um, and then you see here in verse five that the, the church was strengthened in faith and it grow in numbers of believers. One thing that's interesting is that as, as, as people um, plant churches and seek the Lord, a lot of times, you know, we wonder, well, how come they're not growing? Or what is this? If, when you, if you ever get into ministry, unfortunately, there becomes this dialogue about numbers of attendance. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. And they're like, and, and it's weird. It's almost like pastor Christian slang. What are you running? I'm like, what do you mean? Am I not running guns? Like, I'm just not wired that way, you know? I, it, to me, if five people were here and, and we all got built up and, and sent out and, and served the Lord and served the Lord in our families and jobs, praise the Lord. If there was 100,000 people, praise the Lord. It doesn't matter to me. And the person who builds a church is the Lord. It's not the pastor and it's not the worship team and it's not the movie nights and it's not any of this stuff. It's God that adds to it. And so we see here... The churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in number daily. Why, why would it increase daily? Because, because what was going on was supernatural. People were, 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 were leaving the old life that they used to live and they were, they were following Jesus and they were listening to Paul and this great, amazing thing was occurring and people were encouraged. I love that. When there's a movement of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life, there's evidence of God working. We can't conjure up evidence of God, and if we do, it doesn't last. It doesn't. So I love that. You see all throughout Acts, God added to the church, added to the church, and all these men were doing, they were just following the Lord, and they were being led by the Holy Spirit. They weren't following some 10 ways to grow your church or 10 ways to get this person saved or five steps for this or, or 12 steps for that. They were just following the Lord and they're being obedient to the word. And yes, there's leaders in the church and there's men and women that God raises up to be leaders. And you see these people were submitted to the leadership of these people because they were honestly transparent, following the true and living God. And there was a supernatural thing happening. And God does that today with us. God's not a dead God because the Bible is old. He's alive and he's active. And he wants to use today's message to pierce our hearts and to show us that nothing can hinder him. We see here verse six through 10. And when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of a in Asia. And this is such a strange thing to me because you would think, okay, so um, as human beings, we, we, operate with, we operate under the guidelines of intentions. 
Intention's a big deal, right? My intention, like, oh, well, even if we offend somebody, well, my intention was good, right? So we, we are, we're wired for intentional to, to, to go in a certain direction. And even, even listen, even in ministry, even in, 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 in the church life, we can do all sorts of great things, okay? For example, we had men's Bible study on Wednesdays. I know for some of us that was hard. We had women's Bible study on Fridays. And I was evaluating it and I was praying through it. And the Lord just started impressing in my heart that we need to be outward focused and not inward focused right now, even though there's nothing, there is nothing wrong with Bible studies. There's nothing wrong with men's Bible studies or women's Bible studies or college age Bible studies. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the Lord was putting upon my heart that there's a community out here that needs to know that, that the Lord loves them. And they're not gonna show up in here unless we're out there. And so for us, it's like, that was a big change. It's like, well, wait a minute. Even my wife, she's like, yeah, but we have this and, 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 this, and, 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 and we get attached to certain things and we need to be moldable. And so Paul, and Paul, if you, if you look at who his personality was, he was a go-getter, super intelligent, highly, extremely intelligent person, very, very, very driven, okay? And for, the, for him to go, can you put that map on? For him to, you guys are just gonna have to move that map to the right or something so you can click on it quick. So for, for him to go up here to Antioch and Presidia, right where the purple line goes way up there, right? To, to Nicaea, way up there. Paul thought once he got to Antioch, Presidia, that he was just gonna go straight into Asia. In fact, scripture says that they went up and they kept trying to go down into this section of Asia. And you would think, hey, they had great intentions, right? Look at our ministry. People were coming to the Lord. There's healings and all these great things happening. We're going this direction. And a lot of times in our own personal life, we can force things to happen in our life and it's not what God wants us to do. And we need to be moldable and teachable and willing to be moved by the Lord. Maybe that's for some of you today, that's for salvation and making a decision for Jesus. Maybe for some of the day, it's for you to, to step out in ministry. Maybe for some of you, it's to, to help us out with, with, with doing outreaches or whatnot. I don't know, coming on, on Sunday nights for prayer, whatever that looks like, God's asking all of us to do something for him because he wants all of us to be active in a relationship with him, experiencing the true and living God in a powerful way, not sitting on the sidelines. He hasn't ordained human beings to sit on the sidelines. He loves all of us and he wants our lives to glorify him. But we have to be willing to listen to him. And so we see here in 6 through 10 in these verses how these men who were driven to preach the word, to see God do great things, they kept trying and trying and trying to go into Asia Minor and the Holy Spirit forbid them from doing that. They were willing to hear the Lord even when it seemed odd. The Lord sometimes communicates things to us that are odd, not contrary to his word, but just odd to us. Like how we ended up at this building, my wife had a, a tooth that was excruciating, painful, and it made us come here from vacation. We called the dentist. She goes to the dentist. There's nothing wrong with her tooth, but it caused me to actually follow up on calling the guy who owned this place. Well, God caused my wife's tooth to feel like she had an abscess that needed to be drilled, but that wasn't the case. That was really strange. It was odd. It wasn't normal. It wasn't like, God, will you put my wife in pain so we'll leave a lake paradise so we'll, so we'll get a building for our church plant during COVID? No, I wasn't praying any of that. Be willing to be moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not some mystical thing of God. He loves you. He's how we come to know him. It's when things in the Bible start ministering to us and our heart starts beating. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of God's word. God's word, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the word of God are all in unison. They, they don't contradict each other. And the purpose is to draw all of us to a point of a relationship with Jesus, a daily relationship with him. And so now they're asleep over here and, 
and Paul gets this, this dream, and Troas is this vision, this guy in Macedonia pleading with him, come over, help us. After he'd seen the vision, it says here that we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, like I mentioned, um, they were determined to go to Asia Minor, but the Holy Spirit had forbid them. And notice here that they made, again, they made more than one attempt. Also, it's important here to notice in verse 10, you guys see, uh, is, is verse 10 on the screen? Put verse 10 up for me, please. So, uh, see where, the, what's the word after immediately? We. So the writer of Acts is actually Luke, okay? This is the first time we see the word we in, in, in Acts, okay? And so what this means is that Luke has actually joined their missionary journey now. So now you see that he's writing we. It's an all-inclusive. Instead of they, now Luke is with them. Not sure exactly when that occurred or where he was doing ministry at, but it happened in, in Troas. So it's fascinating to me that now we have Luke added to the scene. So they ended up in Philippi, verse 11 and 12, and they're in Philippi. I'm just going to kind of skim through this because of time. So they're in Philippi, and they're on the Sabbath day, and they went to the city in the riverside where people were praying, and it was customarily for them to be at this, it, it was, and on the, verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, to the riverside where, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who, who women who, who met there. So normally where Paul and his team would go, they'd, like I mentioned, they'd go into a synagogue, but there was no synagogue in this place because most likely there was such a very, very, very small Jewish population. So they would go outside the city to this river area. This is where Jewish folks would gather and they would pray. So Lydia heard them talking about the Lord. And this is something that's amazing too. We see here in scripture, the Lord opened her heart. It's important to understand that it's the Lord that does the work in a person's heart, giving them opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. I can't save anybody, okay? You can't save anybody. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And we see here that the Lord had opened up Lydia's heart to hear the message that Paul was speaking. It's really amazing how this occurred in her life. I love this, that Lydia being hospitable, she invited Paul's group to stay with her household. So she was greatly hospitable. Um, hospitality is, a, is kind of a mark of believers. Um, it's, just, it's just one thing. That's why we do uh, like community things here at the church, why we do barbecues and stuff. Just, and, and even in my own house, like our, if you ever want to come over to my house, come over. Like my wife, we're cool with it. If you got kids... My birthday was the other day, and we had 12 kids just going crazy in a pool and a trampoline. We're the loudest house on the block. Um, all the kids come to our house. You know, it's just how we are. And it's just kind of a mark of a believer. And you'll see this even with, with Lydia, and you see it with the jailer, um, that there becomes this love and this concern for others, this hospitality that happens in a believer's life. Um, I think it's kind of a mark of the Holy Spirit that, you know, we become less selfish um, and more open to inviting people into our lives. 16 through 18, um, that it happened when they went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. So this is fascinating as well. You see this, this girl who was possessed by a demon and what she was saying was true. She, was kept, she kept following Paul and the team around and, uh, and she kept saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. What she said is absolutely true. What, what the demon was speaking out of this girl was correct. You know that, that, that demons know who Jesus is? They know exactly who he is. They are in subject to him. 
it's very fascinating to me that a lot of times in our lives we get so concerned that God's not helping us or He's not able to meet our needs and He's not able to, to do things that are, that are right in our life, but yet things that are evil are subject to Him. Things that are good are subject to Him. All things are subject to Jesus. And it's fascinating. So Paul in verse 18, he gets really annoyed with her because I, I think... I believe she's mocking them, you know? And so he commanded her in the name of Jesus for this demon to come out of her. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11 says this. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether you believe Jesus is Lord or not, you will either worship him in spirit and truth while you walk here on earth, or you will recognize him as Lord after you pass, but yet you will be separated him from him for eternity. God gives us an opportunity to Make him the Lord of our life while we are still living here. God himself, the Father, has highly exalted him, verse 9, which is Jesus. Jesus is the name above every single name ever created, ever spoken, every demon, every addiction, every attitude, every governor, every president, every tyrant, everything in authority on earth or in heaven, or under the earth that is dead, or every demon will bow down at the name of Jesus either now or one day in eternity. And God gives us an opportunity to lay our lives down at his feet so that he would restore in us something that we could never restore ourselves. And we see this in, 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 in the jailer, And it's fascinating to me that we see also in verse 19 through 24 how, how, how this amazing thing happened with this girl who was a slave and these men were profiting off of them and they got mad and they were ticked off that their money was being gone and they didn't care that this girl was saved. They were more focused on the physical world and what they could get done for themselves because there are evil people in this world that will never come to know the Lord because they're so bent on themselves and blinded. And these men were that, and they were enraged, and they drew Silas and Paul in the middle of the city, and they brought them through to the people who were in authority, and they made this huge ordeal about them. And they said they're teaching these things that are unlawful for us. Isn't that amazing how sometimes when God does a miracle and you got somebody else that comes up to you and says, well, what you're doing is wrong, even though what you're doing is serving the Lord. There's always a mocker in the room, man, when it comes to serving God. And it's either the mocker that's in our mind saying we can't serve the Lord or it's the mocker on the outside actually manifesting in other relationships in our lives that say you can't be that way. But yet the God of the Bible, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who spoke you into existence when you were born, he, God's word says that he knit you in your mother's womb. At the moment of conception, God was there knitting you together, giving you your eyes and your nose and your eyelashes and birthmarks and, 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 and your bones and sinews and all your atoms. And he, he created you at the, the conception and your DNA strand and all of the uniqueness of who you are. The God of the universe was involved in your birth. So why in the world do we not involve him in our lives while we're here on earth? It's because we think we're self-sufficient and we get in the way. And we need to come to terms in our life that we are incomplete without God. 
And these men were so infuriated. They didn't care about anything having to do with God. And, and they created this horrible situation in front of the authorities. And, 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 and Paul and Silas were beaten physically with rods because they were serving God. Some of us go to church and we're just like, that worship was horrible. I don't like that place. The coffee was bad. That person looked at me weird. These dudes were beaten and thrown in prison in the darkest place of that prison in Philippi and locked up around their ankles. And what did they do? Did they quit? Did they get the complaining game together? You ever have those people that you all get together and you just start talking garbage about your life and just builds up all this garbage. Could you imagine that? Paul and Silas, well, we didn't deserve that. Why did we even? Paul, you should have just shut up and just not even said anything to that girl. Why'd you get that way? Isn't that how we are as human beings? But God gives us an example of what we are to be. We're to be empowered by the Lord so that when our flesh rises up, we say, no, Lord, I need to walk with you and I need to praise you and worship you. Have you ever done that? So um, man, I use my marriage too many examples. Can somebody give me another example of relationships, please? It's horrible. So when Gene and I were dating, um, you know, we'd have tiffs or whatever. And now that we're married, we don't argue ever. But even in the midst of frustration, I would say we need to pray. And that's the most difficult thing because you're heated and, you, and you, everything's just like, oh, no, I'm right and you're wrong. Right? I don't know, man. I, when, you, when you stop, and you pray and you focus on the Lord and you say, God, will you just help us? Even if even the person's yelling at you, I'm just praying right now. Just don't do well. I'll pray for you. <laughs> we can use it as a weapon or like poking at people, right? But no, seriously, like when you let the Lord enter into your mess, man, it's amazing what happens. And check out what happened here at midnight. These dudes who were beaten and locked up, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. These were Roman guard. These, these were unbelievers. People are listening to our lives. Like me and my house, man, my kids are watching Gina and I, especially at the age when they're little, you can, you can do whatever. They're just, goo goo ga ga, I love you. You know, eat, sleep, and poop. They don't even communicate. They're just so cute. And they start growing up. And you're like, oh, man, we got to really like, we have to be real Christians in our house now. <laughs> but isn't that in our lives, right? Like this is what Paul, this is what the Lord did here with them. The prisoners were listening to them. So these prisoners who were locked up were listening to them. They had a captive audience. They weren't their nor the normal prisoners. They weren't the normal prisoners for sure. Here they are singing hymns. And I don't think they were just like, Kumbaya, my Lord. I don't think that's how they were. These men were radically, extravagantly singing and praising God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength in the dark. There's no lights in these prisons. It's probably smelly, stinky, rotten smelling. 26, there's this great earthquake. In verse 26, we see this earthquake. The foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors opened up. It just wasn't Paul and Silas. All the doors in the prison opened up and everyone's chains were loosed. You ever seen in movies where there's a prison break and everyone's throwing toilet paper out the prison and clothes and everything's crazy? Well, it wasn't like that. And the keeper of the prison, the main guard, he woke up from sleeping 
and he saw the prison doors were open and, he, and, and, and for him, that was, if, if the prisoners left, it was death for him. And so he's like, I'm just gonna kill myself, forget it. So Paul calls out with this loud voice and says, do not harm yourself for we're all here. Could you imagine that, this prison, this guard? Why are they, why are they all here still? So what happens next? So he comes down with this light. He ran in and he falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. See, when we meet the, when we meet the true and living God, our lives are changed. And the words that came out of my mouth were this, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Until we come to a place in our life knowing that there's something that we need to be saved from, we will never ask to be saved. We need to be in a place in our life if we do not know the Lord that we need to understand that there's a place for us that we need to be saved from. See, the head jailer had brought Paul and Silas. He brought them out of the prison. He asked them the question that all of us need to be asking what must I do to be saved? All of us need to come to that conclusion. We need to be saved. You ask saved from what? My bank account? What do you mean saved? Saving what? We need to be saved from hell. Without that moment in our life where we come to terms that without Jesus Christ in our life, that we're destined to be in hell, it's impossible to call out asking to be saved. We need to recognize that we're in need of a savior. Some of you are like, well, that's really heavy handed, Brian. Well, yeah, it is really heavy. This is called life and death for eternity. And God holds that in his hand and he freely gives us eternal life. Don't let anything hinder you from having a relationship with Jesus. The jailer didn't. See, it's impossible to call out and ask to be saved if we haven't recognized our desperate need to be saved. We need to be desperate enough to call on the name of Jesus Christ. This jailer knew he needed to be saved. He knew it. So they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, verse 31 and 32. So it's amazing. So the jailer's salvation, it did not save his whole household. That's not what the scripture's saying here. His household would be saved in the same fashion that he was. I love this. The jailer, here it is. He's like the main prison guard. And now he's washing their wounds from him, them being beaten. It's amazing. 33, and immediately after that, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. It's important to know that baptism doesn't save you. So this shows that, baptized, that they were baptized, so they all became, came to know the Lord, his whole household. It's an amazing account of what went on. God knew that this jailer needed Paul and Silas, and so they got thrown in prison. So he brought them into their house, and he set food before them. Gosh, what a change. What a transformative change. And he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. What a neat thing, man. The jailer washed their stripes. Total difference. His family believed and they were all baptized and there's this great joy in his heart and life because he was now a believer. I want to share a little story here really quick and then I'm going to close. I'll finish the rest of the scripture and then we're closing in a minute. I know I'm going over a little bit today. <clears throat> all of us have different family members and different people that we interact with and my past is spotted. But the other day I was talking to my parents about my aunt, Aunt Nancy, Nancy Porter. If you knew Aunt Nancy, you would never want to be around her because she would steal stuff from you. If you did methamphetamines, you'd probably be around my aunt or smoked pot or grew pot, you'd be around her. 
Um, if you were a judge, you were probably looking for her because she was on the most wanted list in California for writing hot checks. If you were my parents, you were probably upset with her because she stole your 25th wedding anniversary ring. If you were her mother, you were probably just loved her the only way you knew how because she was codependent and always asked for money. That was my aunt. I grew up with my aunt. We did drugs together here and there. And then one day, she leaves California. She goes to Nevada. She's living on the streets, eating out of dumpsters. God's not afraid to allow your sin to take you to almost where you're going to die. Because really, the whole purpose if the whole purpose of our life is to come into a living, saving relationship with the Lord, then God knows exactly what needs to happen for you to be face-to-face with God and recognize your need for Him. No matter if your family writes you off or you write other people off, please, if you're a believer, don't ever discount the prodigal person. Pray for them. And so years later, you know, I, 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 I'm older and went through some things in my life and I'm at my parents' house, you know, and I'm 48 now, so I was probably in my late 20s when this happened, maybe early 30s. And there's a phone call and my mom says, hey, Aunt Nancy's on the phone and she wants to talk to you, Brian. So I get on the phone with my aunt. And mind you, I haven't seen her for a long time, and we didn't talk all the time. When people are like that, you, don't, you break relationships. You don't talk with them. And I'd never heard a more joyous person in my entire life. She said, Brian, I got saved. And literally, she was different. She was different over the phone. See, when God steps into our lives, he transforms us. And this jailer saw that, and the jailer wanted it. And a lot of times we want to see, and we want, we need proof. Well, man, whatever you need for God to be real in your life, you tell him you need it, and he will show it to you. My aunt, she had gone into a shelter, and a Christian shelter, and, and she accepted Christ. And she ended up marrying a man that was in that shelter with her, and she was just amazing. And here's what's so funny to me. You know what her job was later on in life? Her last job she had. I'm not kidding. She was on the most wanted list, okay? I saw a picture of her when she, she, she left California and lived in Nevada. And she told me, Brian, I can never go back there. God's just got to take care of that. She worked at a gold mine and she was in charge of payroll. That was the job she had until she passed away from cancer. And I look at her life And she was the person who no one would ever trust. Who, I I mean, as a teenager, I drove her to court because she was writing hot checks from county to county. And I look at my aunt's life and she came to the end of herself and the true and living God filled her with joy and life and gave a thief authority over people's money in a gold mine. And I look at how God changes people and I look at the account of this jailer and I think about how this jailer was, was a Gentile and, and how his life must have been and he obviously was witnessing what was going on with Paul and Silas and obviously when Paul and Silas were in this prison, what they were doing was not normal prisoner things. And so there was this outward expression of the true and living God coming out of Paul and Silas. And this jailer in the midst of everything was like, what must I do to be saved? 
And all of us need to come to that same, that place of recognizing our need for God. And so let me encourage you today that that's what the Lord wants to say today, that not by our might or by our power, but by the Holy Spirit of God, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, we can put, take, by grace through faith, we're saved. I think that's what the shirt says. So 35 through 40, it's amazing. We already read through it. They got released from prison. They wanted to send them out quietly. Paul was like, we're not going to do that. And they had, (laughs) if you took a Roman citizen and you unlawfully imprisoned him, it was a really bad deal. And so that's why in verse 38, the magistrates, they were really afraid because they had done something wrong to a Roman citizen. And Paul, he was Roman. It's a pretty amazing account here. Can you guys say amen? amen. <laughs> so John 8, 31 through 32, let me leave you with this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. See, the making of us being free is in the power of God, not in our power. John 8, 34 through 36 says this, Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and a slave does not abide in the house forever. I love that the Lord was correlating how a slave at that time was temporary. You would have a season of of servitude to the house and when that was over, you would leave that house. But then he says this, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And what he was saying here is that you will be a son of God or a daughter of God for eternity and nothing can ever change that. Just like my aunt, just like the Lord wants to do in us today, reminds us that we can be saved and that we can no longer be a slave to sin through Jesus. Not that we won't sin, but we're no longer controlled by it. We become hospitable like the jailer or like Lydia and there's joy in our life and there's a difference. Man, I want that difference in my life every day and I know you do too. And it's time that we call on the name of Jesus to be saved and set free and transformed so that what's out here sees the true and living God and not just some circus. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You should circle that in your Bible or write that down. John chapter 8, verse 36. There's so much power in that verse. That's why the title of this message is Freedom in the Power of Jesus. It's amazing how the Old Testament, I started out with Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then Jesus himself Stating at the end here in John, in this message to you guys, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Again, John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It's not our power. It's not our strength. Freedom is found in the power of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the testimony of the jailer. Thank you for the patience of these folks sitting here in these uncomfortable chairs. And I pray, Lord, that none of us would leave this place, God. Holy Spirit, if you've moved upon anybody's hearts online in this room, someone here doesn't know the Lord, I pray that this would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon the name of Jesus. Like the jailer, what must I do to be saved? Thank you, Lord, that you know how to guide, guard, and direct us. Thank you for each and every person here, for the families that they represent. Thank you for the many testimonies, Lord, of our lives, God, of how you change us and make us different. Thank you, God, that we can trust you and that we can love you, Lord, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength because you are in us. Thank you for what you're doing, God. Just praise you and give you all the glory. I pray that you would bless our week. 
whether you be with us, Lord, that there be opportunities for us to just be reminded of who you are, Lord. That you would remind us as we're going to and fro in our week, Lord, about your love for us, God. That you care about us. Just thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.